This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. And welcome in to NFL Friday here with WFUV Sports. I'm Charlie Mizano alongside Emmanuel Barbari. Jackson Heil is going to be doing the fantasy segment today, excuse me. And we got Tommy A. calling in from Connecticut. Tommy, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. How you doing? I don't know uh, how, how my voice is coming over. You can hear me well? Yeah, we can hear you well, man. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. It was great. I had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, for me, Thanksgiving is just another day of football. And luckily, you know, America tends to agree we all like to eat great food and watch football. So I was watching, you know, football all day yesterday. I don't know about you guys. Tommy, too much screaming from that Giants game? Not even screaming, Emmanuel, because (laughs) there wasn't even anything to scream about. It was just, you know, I feel bad for, for, you know, the viewers because they had to save the worst game for primetime. And Chris Collinsworth, Al Michaels, that's my favorite duo and, uh, you know, they usually grace whatever team it is they call. And, you know, the, I don't think the Giants and Redskins put on a show that, you know, anyone deserves. Yeah, what a waste. And before we talk about the Giants and the rest of the show we got for everyone on hand, just wanted to wish everybody happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone's weekend goes well. And, uh, Emmanuel, how was your Thanksgiving yesterday? It went well. I went and saw some relatives and not the biggest Thanksgiving food guy. Uh, to be honest, Emmanuel, uh, I'm with you there. By the way, that's one thing I didn't mention. You thank know, you, Tommy. Food just yeah, I don't get the whole hype with turkey. Uh, stuffing yeah. is very mediocre. Uh, but I did enjoy the load of food that I had and the amount of options that that I had. And football always makes the day, so I basically positioned myself in front of the screen, and that was basically I, my nutrition. Just, I, I've heard way too many bad Thanksgiving food takes, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious who had the most. Uh, who went for the the most servings? You know, round two. I, round I had three. I had three or four. I only had I only had two. I think that is the true that is the true test of of a Thanksgiving fiend, if you will. You know, someone who's really just getting after it. I, I had about like three servings of food yesterday. Not a big turkey fan, but really love the side dishes. I love the stuffing. Um, definitely for dessert, I had a little too much. I had some pecan pie, some pumpkin pie. Sounds uh, good. Pretty good. My grandma made most of it, but uh, all right, let's get let's get started with some football action. Enough of the Thanksgiving food <laughs> talk here on NFL Friday. Uh, but let's start off the show with the Giant segment. Some Thanksgiving, amazingly, the New York Giant offense appears to be descending into deeper depths of ineptitude. That's right. In a game where the final score showed a meager ten points for New York against the Redskins, twenty. Seven of these points for the Giants are credited to Janoris Jenkins, a member of the defense. That's right, Eli Manning and his ragtag troop of mostly backups and rookies were only able to put up three points in last night's Thanksgiving affair in the nation's capital. Quite frankly, I feel bad for America that this was the Sunday night showing on Thanksgiving, as it was an ugly one on nearly all sides. For the Giants, there are many ways to analyze this team and many angles from which they can come from. For the Eli haters, on one hand, a certain responsibility must be placed on the quarterback. Three points means that the offense was only able to reach field goal distance at one point during the game? Not acceptable at any level, and Eli Manning must be the force to effect change in that outcome. With that being said, take a look at the Giants offense. They went from having the most potent weapon in the league in Odell Beckham to having a rookie as their best option. First round tight end, Evan Ingram. The rest, Roger Lewis, Tavares King, Shane Vereen and Orleans Darkwa. Not the most experienced or proven unit that you could field. They will get Sterling Shepard back at some point from his illness, but even with him, the Giants have shown that they just don't have it this season. So whether you want to blame Eli, his weapons, the lack of an offensive line, or even Ben McAdoo or Jerry Reese, no critique really seems wrong right now. And that's just the sad state of things in New York. Covering these New York Giants, I'm Tommy Aldridge, WFUV Sports.
Well, the New York football giants did not have a happy Thanksgiving down in Washington, D.C. They were defeated by the Washington Redskins 20-10 to in what Tommy said was a disgusting primetime Thursday night football game on Thanksgiving. Giants fans went to bed unhappy, 11.30 at night it ended, and just wasn't a good offensive performance at all. They had no offensive touchdowns. Their only touchdown was a pick six from Janoris Jenkins. Just one of the worst offensive performances I've seen from the Giants this year. Yeah, and it's really, you know, it's really just amazing. The past three weeks have been so bad for the Giants, you know, with the L.A. Rams giving up 50 points in a blowout to losing to the Owen-something 49ers who are just awful. They have one win. They beat your Giants. Say it again. The 49ers have one win. They beat your Giants. Exactly. So you give a 49ers a win. So you get a victory against the Chiefs, but a victory where – you score 12 points in another sort of generally ugly game, and it's just this game was sort of a continuation of that Chiefs game where, you know, they happened to get the win in that game, but, you know, they couldn't do it this time because, you know, you see how sluggish the team is. And as you just mentioned, Charlie, I think the most telling thing is that their one touchdown came from Janoris Jenkins. Yeah, it was just a really abominable performance from the Giants. It was a waste of a primetime slot. And they were facing a Redskins team that, granted, has really, really underperformed this season. Expected a lot more from the Redskins. But the Redskins played an awful game, too. When you look at it, the Redskins didn't deserve that win by any means. But you're looking at a Giants team, 170 total yards of offense? I mean, that just doesn't win you a football game. That's not acceptable by NFL standards. And this was a very winnable game, like you said, Emmanuel. I mean, there was one play in the game where the Redskins called timeout in the third quarter. And then they got a delay of game penalty right after that because <laughs> they couldn't get their, their play calls going. Mess. and It was just a mess of a game. And the Redskins also had eight penalties for a loss of 55 yards. And they went four of 15 on third down. I mean, this Charlie, is- you're making an excellent point because it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And, it, and it, this sort of happened to the Chiefs, too. It's, it's almost like the teams the Giants are playing are playing down to the competition that the Giants are offering them. I agree. But they still can't get it done. And, you know, the, the question that I'm sort of wondering in my head is how, how is the Giants' offense continuing to degrade? How is it that they are actually seemingly getting worse every week? Because I actually had a sneaky feeling, you know, as you guys were just alluding to, the Washington Redskins had a performance that the Giants could have easily beat them. And if you look at, you know, 20 points, maybe you reasonably expect to win a game that your defense gives up 20 points. But the problem is, this Giants offense, guys, what's going on? Why are they getting worse? Well, it doesn't help that for the, for the offense with no running game, I mean, their leading rusher was Wayne Gallman with only 37 yards. <laughs> compared to Samaj Perrine for the Redskins, he had 24 carries for 100 yards. He didn't get into the end zone. But you know, as as decent, and I, you know they're not lights out, but as decent as the Giants' D has been, as in you know, really putting them in the past two games, only giving up nine to the Chiefs and and twenty last night is meh. But I must say, Perrine was running all over them, and the run defense did not look so good last night. I'm just wondering what you guys think of Eli Manning, where he is, and how it pertains to the Giants' success or lack thereof. Because when does this start to become more about Eli Manning and less than less about a Giants team that's really depleted on all fronts? It's Yesterday, question, Eli Manning... And, and actually, you know, I'm, I'm home with my family watching this game, and, and that's actually the exact question I posed to my dad after the game. I said... You know, after watching uh, an offensive performance like that, it doesn't matter if it's the Giants or anybody, three points, no touchdowns, uh, just ineptitude, sort of identity-less. At what point can you or maybe do you have to blame the quarterback? And, uh, you know, I think you must to a certain extent. But, you know, I think the – and this was my dad's answer – I tend to agree with him. I think the important thing to realize about Eli is the type of quarterback he is. And although it's inexcusable maybe for any quarterback to not put up any touchdowns, Eli Manning's a pocket passer. And now he's an old aging pocket passer. So I then look at Jerry Reese and really look at this offensive line and say, I think that is the, the 
you know, the bane of the Giants' existence that they couldn't build around a quarterback who they knew was someone who you need to build around. Yeah, and I was just going to say, finishing up my point, that Eli, although he has nothing surrounding him and nothing working for him with the Giants right now, 13 for 27 for 113 yards, didn't put up a passing touchdown, and in the second half was virtually held yardless when you think of it in the grand scheme of things. That has to be attributed at least somewhat to the quarterback. You look at other elite quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they don't always have the greatest supporting cast, and it's unfair to compare it that way because they do have much better offensive lines, but they make do with what they have, and they're still able to put up a serviceable, at least remotely serviceable performance for their team. And Eli hasn't been able to do that, so although I'm not completely pinning it on Eli, I think the question needs to be posed. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, Eli did not have, does not have his top weapons. No Odell Beckham Jr. Sterling <clears throat> Shepard was out with yeah. the migraine last night. Brandon Marshall, Dwayne Harris. It just keeps going on and on, and obviously no run game. But last, last night, the one play that stood out to me the most was that play with Shane Vereen in the second quarter where he was wide open. He would If he caught if the, the throw was online, everyone knows it went over the head of Shane Vereen. Would have been a wide-open touchdown. Could have gotten some momentum for the Giants. Could have changed the com- whole complexion of the game. It's just not the throws that Eli Manning would have made when he was younger and just doesn't look like he's, he's any better as he was uh, last season. I don't know. I think the Giants maybe have to move forward with him either next year or the year after that. What do you think, Tommy? Chuck, I, I'm, I'm with you, and I'm with you too, Emmanuel, that, yeah, you have to blame the quarterback, and you really do. You really do, but it's just, you know, not every, every situation is different in case by case, and it's just as – and, Chuck, the, the Vereen play, great example of, of Eli sort of missing, you know, a throw or two or three these past couple weeks. I think there was one other throw he missed. Uh Last night, that there were a couple. A he just like bounced them, man. It, it really made it so the play couldn't go on. I, you know, I I agree with you guys. Eli needs to do more, but when I'm looking at the Giants next year, because you know that that's what it is. This team's gonna have to play next season and the season after that. I I I still see Eli Manning as a player to work around. Um. I think the Giants should start looking into the future, but I really do believe Eli Manning put in a better position, uh, still can be the quarterback of the future, and, and my, my you know, gun to my head, what's gonna, what are the Giants going to look like last year, next year? I do believe Eli plays a couple more seasons than the Giants. I really do. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I just think something like the Vereen play, that's what separates exactly, a good yeah. aging quarterback point. like Eli Manning from an elite quarterback. Yeah. Those throws that you just have to make, and Eli's not making them right now, and for a team that desperately needs anything they can get on the offensive side of the ball, you have to make those plays. And Absolutely. some of this needs Absolutely. to be directly on the shoulders of Eli. And, and debating it is almost different than, like, you know, the practicalities, what's going to actually happen. Yeah. I think it's a much more fair debate, fair conversation, than is uh, an actual question. Basically, as in, and, and I'm not to say, like, you know, I'm right about this, but I really think Eli is going to be the quarterback for the Giants for the next two years, you know, unless they really do get, you know, either Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, you know, one or two this year, and they light it up, you know, barring some sort of unforeseen circumstances. Uh, not that that's too unreasonable, but I think really Eli Manning will be the next quarterback, but I think it's totally fair to just look at him, look at a 37-year-old guy who's not playing well. And, yeah, the criticism, you know, I, I can't argue against it at all. Well, speaking of Darnold and Rosen and the draft, if the season were to end today, they would have the number three overall pick. I mean, there's question about whether they want to go after Saquon Barkley from Penn State or they want to get a top guy like Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. I mean, I would probably go after Saquon Barkley. They have a guy uh, in Davis Webb from Cal. He maybe isn't the best out there right now, but their run game is just so depleted. I would definitely go after a guy like Barkley who could just change the game in a flash. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I thought when the Giants beat the Chiefs, I thought, uh, maybe they could go on a bit of a run here, and, and you oh know, maybe come on, stop it! 
up with a top five <laughs> pick, but maybe a top ten pick. Go on a run. Give me a break. But you don't no, want no, that. Not even a run. Just stack like a, a few, like maybe three wins. But, you know, the offense, as we were talking about earlier in the show, and, you know, you kind of heard it in the report, the the offense just they're they're searching for answers and there's just none. I mean, there's not there's so how, no answers to this offense. Uh, I do see the Giants having a top three, top four pick at the most. So, you know, he'll be there. Saquon Barkley will be there. A couple quarterbacks will be there. It's not to say they can't trading up or down will uh, for the first time really in a in a bunch of years be. At the table for if you know if it's Jerry Reese making these decisions at this point, the Giants are going to be tempted for a trade up or down. What? You know if they're number two for number one, if they love a guy, uh, it'll be really interesting to see the Giants management in a premier draft position because the Giants haven't been there in a while, and we don't even know if it's going to be Jerry Reese making those decisions. Well, before we wrap up this segment, I just want to hear your justification of why you think the Giants would go on a mini-run considering they didn't score an offensive touchdown this game and they beat the Chiefs 9-6 to last week, again, not scoring any <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah, basically just because I thought that the defense looked good against the Chiefs, and I still think and the defense has capable players who, if they play well together, could start playing pretty good defense, I, I think, like, out of the blue, no pun intended. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the defense get hot, maybe. Uh, you know, George Jenkins had pick six last game, stuff like that. Uh, and and then, the, you know, the only justification I can possibly give you is that since we've seen nothing from the Giants offense this year, I thought there was something maybe to be had, as in, you know, just something. Like maybe they literally score like they're able to score like 21 points, three touchdowns a game, which is not too much to ask. I thought that that could be possible, maybe. Roger Lewis maybe could score two touchdowns. Evan Ingram maybe could score, like, two touchdowns, and maybe they score, like... Anyway, basically, I'm just trying to save the Giants' offense. I thought they had something. I now really know, I think we all know, there is nothing. There is nothing to be had. They, you know, they've reached as far down into the bag as possible, and there's no tricks. Well, we've just so... To be fair, the justification was, and and probably coming from a bit of small hope as a a fan as well, so really no no valid reasons for that one, I guess. Well, you just proved my point that you were you you were very delusional with your uh, ideas there. (laughs) But we're gonna wrap up this giant segment. But before we go to our next segment, let's go to Jackson Heil for a fantasy update. Who are some of the safest bets in fantasy this week? Here are the players our expert thinks you must start if you're looking to win your matchup. All right, so I'm actually going to start a little bold with this one. I'm going to go with Alex Smith, who, yes, since week one, he really hasn't done all that much. Just two games over 300 yards since that week one performance against New England. However, I'm really looking at this Bills defense this week as a reason as to why he's going to bounce back. Just The Bills defense has allowed an average of 50 points over the last two weeks under Sean McDonough. Really has struggled defensively in so many different ways, and Let's forget their quarterback situation, but I just think the Chiefs have way too many weapons to not have a huge week this way. I think Tyreek Hill has a big week. They use Kareem Hunt through the passing game as well as Travis Kelsey. So I think Alex Smith is pretty much a lock for 250 yards through the air and a few scores as well. The next one I'll go to is Juju Smith-Schuster, who has been one of the breakout guys of this season in all of football. He was very ordinary last week with just four catches and 47 yards on Thursday night versus Tennessee. However, the Steelers' offense is hitting its stride right now in a way that we really haven't seen at all this year. Smith-Schuster had three touchdowns in three straight weeks prior to last week's game, as well as 25 targets in his last three weeks. He's going to be set up against Demarius Randall in the slot in Sunday night's matchup against Green Bay this week. That should be a real matchup he can dominate. He has the side size, he has the speed, and he's a huge deep threat for Big Ben Roethlisberger, so I expect him to have a big week as well. Next guy I'll go to is Alshon Jeffrey, who's really been a stud of late. 60 receiving yards in each of his last three games, has totaled four touchdowns, and he only has one game this season under six targets. He's starting to really hit his stride in terms of catching balls. His combination of speed and size makes him a huge threat to to get to the end zone on pretty much every play, especially when he's in the red zone. And he gets a revenge game 
this week against the Bears, who let him go after this year. And they've also been very susceptible to top receivers on either team. So I expect a big week for Carson Wentz and Alshon Jeffrey. And my final guy I'll go to, Deion Lewis. He's emerged finally as the lead back in that Patriots offense. That has really been sensational lately. He's gotten at least 10 carries in the, his last five games, and he's averaging 4.7 yards per carry on the year. And he's always a massive threat in the passing game, which is how he really made his name. This week he plays a Miami Dolphins defense that is just one week removed from allowing over uh, just under 300 gushing yards to the Carolina Panthers. I would expect Lewis to get utilized a ton this week, especially if the Pats get out to an early lead. And a perfect ending there with the, with the music, Jackson. Perfect sync. Yeah, wow. absolutely. But the perfect um, The question of the day here is for Dolphins fans. Last week, Kenyon Drake, woeful performance, considering he came off a really good performance on Monday Night Football. Who's the starting back for the Dolphins this week? Honestly, I wouldn't be comfortable going with either one of Williams or Kenyon Drake, but I think especially against New England where they're probably going to be down big at some point and they're going to be looking to throw the ball. Williams is definitely the bigger threat through the air, so that's the guy I'd go with this week. Otherwise, I don't really have any, ob any objections there. I, I was looking for something to either challenge or ask you about, but I like them, I and I like the bold take with yeah. Alex Smith. <laughs> that, that should be an interesting one because just because he hasn't really played all that well, but the Bills' defense – has been an atrocity of late. I mean, they've allowed 54 points and 47 points in each of their last two games. So. KC, I'll talk about later in the pickup segment. They rubbed me the wrong way, but I like the Alex Smith pick. All right, so that'll do it with our first fantasy segment with Jackson Heil. Thank you, Jackson. Now we're going to turn our attentions to the other two Thanksgiving games, which were much more entertaining than the Giants game, especially the Vikings-Lions game. I thought that, that was obviously the best game of the night. But... The Chargers and Cowboys. We'll start with that one because I don't think anyone expect any. I don't think any fan of watching football expected the Chargers to put a romping on the Cowboys like they did last night. Yeah, I don't think anyone did, Chuck. And and sort of, I'm happy because I've always been wondering what's so good about the Cowboys. And you know, I was sort of convinced it was Ezekiel Elliott, and I'm I'm kind of thinking that I was right about that last year. I don't know what last year was. And I kept saying, I don't know how they were able to win game after game. Uh, it was wild to me. So going into this year, I just didn't think the Cowboys were going to be a feared foe in the NFC. And right now at 5-6, and six, with that loss, they're, they're really not. Yeah, and the Cowboys, the thing with them last year, I think a lot of things went their way. It was kind of that storybook season that they just needed to cap off and capitalize on. And given that a lot of things went right, I expected them to take a step down, at least to some extent, this year. And without Ezekiel Elliott, that's kind of like a, a double punch uh, against them. And they're very reliant on Zeke, and I think we've seen it the last few weeks. Yeah. And obviously, not the hottest take in the world to say the Chargers or the Cowboys would be worse than they were last year because oh, totally, fourteen and two. But you know, I I feel like you know it's almost like they're really a mediocre team minus Zeke. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I thought they'd actually hold their own. I had them as a playoff team regardless. I, I thought Dak Prescott would do enough, and I thought that offensive line. Look, it's it's not that hard to run through that offensive line if you're a decent NFL back, but. It has hurt them, and they haven't looked the same. And yesterday it really, really showed up. So I'm starting to worry about the Cowboys, even though I still think there's an outside shot they could get together. And now the Cowboys are 0-3 without Elliott this season after losing yesterday 28-6 to to the Los Angeles Chargers. But I think the biggest story of yesterday's game, besides the fact that Dak Prescott imploded, giving up two interceptions, one of them was a pick six, but was Phillip Rivers, who was 27 for 33 passing, 434 passing yards and three touchdowns. He just looked impeccable last night. I was very, very surprised to see Phillip Rivers control the game like that yesterday and just turn the Chargers now into what could be a playoff team. Yeah, the Chargers, they, they really did look good yesterday, Chuck. And, and I'm not too, I, I don't want to say I'm too surprised because I love Phillip Rivers and, and I've always thought he's a great quarterback. But, you know, they really did look ugly at the beginning of the season. And, you know, now they've strung a few games together, and, you know, they're at the same 5-6 and six record as the Cowboys, but I'm not sure where they stand exactly in the playoff picture right now in the AFC East. I'm wondering, is it too late for them? 
I don't think it's too late for the Chargers by any means. Uh, you look at the remainder of their schedule. They have the Browns, Redskins. They have the Chiefs, which will be a test to some extent. Then they have the Jets and the Raiders. So you're looking at a clear path to 9-7, and seven, maybe even 10-6 and six if they keep playing uh, to the caliber in which they have. Phillip Rivers has been sensational. So we're speaking of fantasy just a few minutes ago. Keenan Allen has been absolute money for my team this these past few weeks. So uh, I'm sure we oh, may be right, hearing his Emmanuel, name later. You're right. They're right there with the Chiefs. They who are. are. Just 6-4. and four. And absolutely, if, if Phillip Rivers has something of a run left in him, these Chargers could absolutely run, take the AFC West. No excuse not to go 9-7. and seven, And every reason to think they could go 10-6. and six. And even if they don't win the AFC West, I mean, look at the two teams ahead of them in the wild card. You got the Ravens. Who are five and five? Who have been pretty shaky this year? And then yeah. the Bill, and then obviously the Bills, who got crushed by the Chargers last week. So there's definitely, I think the Chargers can easily slip into that wild card hunt as well. Charlie, that's a really good point. All of a sudden, you look at these NFC wild card teams, and and they're all starting to slip seemingly at the same time. I mean, the Bills, absolutely, you just have no idea what's going on with the Bills, and the Lions take a loss last night. Different so, divisions, Tommy. Say it again. Different divisions. Ah, oh, different divisions. You're right. Sorry about that. It's all good, but definitely with the Bills, I mean, Tyrod Taylor should not have been sat last week. I mean, they were they were five and four. If they had won, the, the Chargers in no means are a Patriots or a Steelers in the AFC, and they could have easily started Tyrod Taylor. They could have been six and four, and they would have been in the AFC wild card hunt right now. The Bills had a few easy shots to really solidify themselves in this race, and that really all came to fruition last week with that decision not to start Tyrod Taylor and one of the worst quarterback performances we have ever seen in the National Football League. Uh, so the Bills, they kind of did it to themselves, and you kind of had to see it coming. Something was going to go wrong that would keep the Bills from being of relevance this year, and it happened to be just awful decision-making at the quarterback yeah, yeah. position. I don't want to hype on that too much because maybe we can talk about that later. But we did talk about that uh, benching last week, and, and none of us understood it. We all thought it was too early. Made no sense for a Bills team that was still so in the hunt and kind of just yeah taking themselves out of the shooting themselves in the foot. Kind of. I want to pose a question to you guys while we're talking about the Cowboys for a second. Des Bryant, uh, what do you guys think about Des Bryant as in terms of? where his career is at, and if he's on the decline, perhaps. Yeah, I definitely don't think Dez is in his prime anymore. He had a pretty rough game last night, only three three receptions for 37 yards. He clearly doesn't have the same chemistry with Dak Prescott as he did with Tony Romo. I don't I don't know how much longer he could be on this Cowboys team. I, don't, I just don't know how long, much longer he'll be there. I think Charlie hit it on the head right there. I'm not sure as much... It's about Dez being on the utmost decline. You can lose a step and still be an effective receiver in the NFL, and we know that it's with the most elite the receivers. I think it's the chemistry. He, he's not that familiar with Dak Prescott. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts to an offense, and we know there have been moving parts with this Cowboys offense, and they don't have the same rhythm necessarily with Zeke out of the lineup than with Zeke in it. So uh, maybe Dez Bryant isn't getting the same looks, but there's definitely a lack of chemistry there dating back to last year and not as many explosive performances as he would have if he had Tony Romo, a guy who he's dealt with for essentially a decade before that. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to I just wanted to talk the idea out there. You know, a lot of Giants Twitter is always smashing Des Bryant, saying he's done, he's done, and it's just an interesting proposition. He hasn't had one of those dominating 1v1 performances in a while. We haven't seen him take over a game in a while, maybe even going back to last year, so... I'm always just monitoring, you know, the NFC East and keeping tabs on all the scary guys. And Des Bryant was one who really used to put fear in in me and, and just doesn't to the degree he used to. But, you know, maybe maybe that's neither here nor there. All right, so I think we stuffed the turkey when it comes to Chargers and Cowboys. Let's move on to the Vikings and Lions. The Vikings defeated the Lions yesterday 30-23, to and now they are the second – and they are in second place in the NFC division, and they're now 9-2 and two because of the play of Case Keenum. I just did not expect this coming into the year, and I did not expect Case Keenum to still be— I was waiting for him to implode, actually. I'm waiting for Case Keenum 
to no longer be the starting quarterback for the Vikings. I'm waiting for Teddy Bridgewater to step up and still lead this Vikings team to the playoffs, but definitely not win anything. I just, I, I'm just still shocked about Case Keenum. Yeah, well, Chuck, I don't know. You might have to be waiting for a while because that was a huge win in the NFC North that the Vikings got against the Lions last night. And, and yeah, Case Keenum, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Dak Prescott-Tony Romo situation last year. Are you going to take him out? No, I mean, you definitely can't take him out. I mean, he's willing the team to victory when it comes to the, the their play. I mean, their chemistry with his chemistry with the receivers and especially Adam Thielen is unbelievable. Thielen, who he's became the first wide receiver on the Vikings to reach a thousand yards since Randy Moss. I mean, the I don't I just random guys are just popping up for the Vikings this year. And Thielen, Case Keenum, Latavius Murray signed that big contract after the Dalvin Cook injury. He's now starting to play really well. Twenty carries, eighty-four yards, and a touchdown yesterday. This team is just clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I wonder if this is the year for the Vikings. The Vikings, for so long, they've, they've had a talented roster, especially defensively. They've, they've had some good players on the team, but, you know, and a lot of it stemming from that quarterback spot, they've just kind of been that sort of mediocre team that has some potency in the regular season and not much in the playoffs. 9-2 and two right now, playing pretty lights out. Xavier Rhodes is a premier corner. Uh, a lot of things are going well for the Vikings, so I really, th- I just think yesterday was a huge win. You know, they were playing an NFC North opponent that was creeping up on them in the division, and, and now with a solid three-game lead in that NFC North, I think they could have, you know, solidified that guaranteed playoff spot yesterday. And, and guys, I'm just wondering what this team's uh, – hotness levels are going to be like come playoff time are you referring to the vikings yeah yeah i'm not sure i I mean i'm just really surprised with the performance of the vikings to this point uh we'll we'll see how it continues to unfold they're one of those teams that could be uh a little a little fluky uh to me come playoff time just with the the amount that has gone right they're at nine and two right now and normally when you look at a nine and two football team you view them as dangerous I think if anyone draws them in potentially a wild card round or a divisional matchup, they'll be happy. I don't. I don't think they're one of those teams that really, really just just blows you out of the water and says, "Look, uh, we're worried facing the Vikings in a playoff game." That, that's just my take on it. I definitely see them slowing down at some point and potentially turning into a fluky playoff team. Well, yeah, I mean that's sort of what I was talking about. That they do have this reputation of, you know, not having any. Uh... You know, they haven't done anything in the playoffs in yeah. a while. They had that, you know, they they beat the – no, sorry, they lost to the Seahawks on that field goal kick. Yeah, They've was, had some very unfortunate moments, but they have had a good roster in the past couple of years, and I'm not sure you're giving them quite the respect they deserve at 9-2 and two and one of the best defenses in the NFL for a few years now. I don't know. I, I don't think I would love to play them in the, in the playoffs. Don't, don't get me wrong. I respect the fact that they're 9-2. and two. I always respect a team that comes like really out of nowhere and, and does something like this. No, I, I, I just don't. I I, the, the Vikings, the Vikings, the Vikings no really need some, some sustained playoff success to get me to think otherwise. It's kind of like the Bills this year. Uh, you, you look at them, and, and they're contending in the AFC. Have the Bills really ever been serious in the no. AFC? No, they haven't, so you're waiting for something to go wrong. It's a great comparison. It's a great comparison. The Bills have had a decent roster, but you know they just haven't been able to do it. That being said, I think the Vikings are a little better than the yeah, Bills. Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> Much better for that matter. I Just yeah. to butt in here, I, I don't think comparing the Bills and the, no, the no, Vikings. No, I'm talking comparing. about how they're perceived, yes, not the rosters. I, I understand, no. but I, I think perception isn't really taken, or that type of perception per se isn't necessarily taken into huge consideration in the playoffs. I think you look at this Vikings team, they have one of the most dangerous defenses in the league, and obviously their offense has been sensational with Thielen and Diggs, but I'm full on the Case Keenum train right now. And, I know and, you and, are. And I'm riding it, but I, I just think it's unfair to say that a team wouldn't be scared to play them in the A playoffs. little fluky, that's all I'm saying. A clearly, little. clearly a Cinderella story for the year that no one expected, but before we wrap up this segment... Oh, Chuck, no. That, oh, my gosh. We could keep debating this for so long. I just I can't agree uh, with time, that. Time permitting. <laughs> we got it. We got it. Before we move on from... Say it again. No, it's just the Vikings. The Vikings came into the year a good football team. I don't think they—they're not out of nowhere, you guys. I, I, 
the Vikings will always be out of nowhere if they're nine and two. But before Hold on, real quick, Vikings record, two thousand sixteen. All right, the Vikings went eight and eight last year. Uh, yeah, but I don't think. I don't know. We could debate this for a long time. I just think I think I think Jackson sort of agrees with me. This defense has been on the rise for several years and is on paper one of the best in the league. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, you get Latavius Murray. It's a decent team. It's a playoff team. Whatever. I mean, you, we I think we've nailed we've we've nailed this point to to no end. But before we wrap wrap up the segment, I just want to talk about. The Lions run game, that's just the biggest takeaway from the game last night for me, is that their leading rusher was theoretic five carries for 20 yards. Clearly the Lions management needs to find another replacement for the running game next year. Because without that, Matthew Stafford's not going to go anywhere with this Lions team. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's kind of like watching New York a little bit. They don't have any direction with the running game, and, and that can really stall an offense as we've seen. You know, Amir Abdullah was a guy they took and really had high aspirations for in the draft. I guess we haven't really seen him become a lead back quite yet. By the way, I still think the Lions are going to be a playoff team this year. They dropped to 6-5, and five and that wasn't a great loss to have on their hands yesterday. But they lose to a good Vikings team. Now you have Ravens, Bucks, Bears, Bengals, Packers. Talk about a clear path to 10-6 and six or 11-5. and five. They have it. Very easy schedule for the Lions. That'll wrap up our Thanksgiving football talk. We're going to talk some gangrene after this fantasy update with Jackson Heil. Predicting this week's fantasy duds is just as important as picking this week's fantasy studs. Here's who our expert thinks you should sit this week. All right, before I get into the segment, I have to thank Jimmy Sullivan back there for correcting me. Mid-segment said Sean McDonough was the coach of the Bills. Susan's Monday Night Football guy. It's really Sean McDermott, so I apologize to Mr. McDermott for that. Hopefully his team plays a little better next time. But anyway, Drew Brees, my first dud for this week, ironically, and he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league since he's entered the league. But as we know, he has struggled on the road in his career, and he has to go play an L.A. Rams defense, which has been absolutely sensational this year. Additionally, the Rams, excuse me, the Saints' success most of that this year has actually come in the run game. Mark Ingram has been one of the best running backs in all of football. Alvin Kamara is a quiet Rookie of the Year candidate in the NFL as well. So I expect a good workload from them, especially when you look at the way that the Vikings took on the Rams and how they beat them. Latavius Murray ran rampant all game, and he had two touchdowns in that game. Marshawn Lynch is my second guy this year, and he's really been a dud all season long. Since week one when he had 18 carries, he only has one game this year above 13 carries this year, and it was in week nine against Miami. He only has three games this year with a touchdown, and he goes up against a Denver Broncos defense this year, which held him to nine carries for 12 yards in their first meeting. So I wouldn't expect anything from a guy who's only eclipsed 70 yards once this entire season. Jordy Nelson, who I didn't expect to see on this list at all during this season, has actually made it on this list for me in pretty much three, three or four straight weeks since Aaron Rodgers has went down with injury. I arguably think he's worth dropping in non-keeper leagues. The loss of Aaron Rodgers has made Nelson average under three catches per game over his last four outing. Brent Hundley has simply not done the job. And the Steelers have one of the best secondaries in football as well, regardless of whether Joe Hayden will be playing or not. So I would not be starting Nelson this week by any means. And finally, the first, the last time I was on the show and did the fantasy segment, I mentioned Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt as two guys I wouldn't be starting. I will also mention them again in this segment. This duo is one of the most efficient in football, so to speak, but they have been struggled to be effective together. Jay Ajayi has had some good rushes, but together they're only combining for 18 and a half carries per game in their two games. And obviously Ajayi has had two big rushes, but in his two games with the Eagles, he has eight carries against Denver and seven carries the last week. And again, he has been effective. 9.62 yards per rush against Denver in week nine. And last week against Dallas, he averaged 13 yards per carry. However, LeGarrette Blunt has gotten the majority of the carries in both games. They love to use him, and especially in the red zone. So I wouldn't expect the, either of them to be all that effective this week once again. Yeah, Jackson, I appreciate you mentioning a guy like Jordy Nelson, and that plays to my point I was talking about earlier with the difference between a guy like Aaron Rodgers and Eli Manning. Aaron Rodgers makes receivers, literally makes receivers. I don't even need to go any further than that. Since Aaron Rodgers goes down, you're looking at Jordy Nelson, one catch, four catches, three catches, two catches. It's really crazy what an elite, a truly elite quarterback 
can do for wide receivers like this. And as Jackson mentioned in his dud segment, these wide receivers, their stocks will drop if an elite quarterback goes down. Absolutely. And I think this more goes to test the testament to how bad Brett Hundley has been. Because he's awful. Yeah. He really is a poor quarterback, and that is why he's been a career backup his entire career. I remember when he was actually being tabbed as a potential lottery pick when he was with UCLA. He has simply not panned out like that, and he only had one real mediocre game against the Chicago Bears. He's really struggled other than that. So I honestly wouldn't be opposed if you dropped Jordy Nelson in non-keeper leagues, obviously. Emmanuel, love the, love the Rodgers point on making quarterbacks. <clears throat> agree with you there and and you know who better than than Aaron Rodgers really and and Jackson hilarious I, I don't think I've ever heard lottery pick used in the the NFL terms so. I I am thinking more NBA there but uh I mean, it, it could apply to the I NFL mean, I, I I remember when Brett Hundley was a big thing at UCLA but you know that really never happened Well there's always the chance that Aaron Rodgers comes back with maybe one or two games up in the season but at that point I think most people's leagues will be over by week 16 but That'll do it for that segment. Thank you, Jackson. Now let's talk about the New York football Jets. Big test for the Jets this week when they play the 7-3 Carolina Panthers. But before we talk about the Jets, let's hear Matt Murphy's Jets report. Well, the five-year anniversary of the Mark Sanchez Thanksgiving night butt fumble has come and gone. And so has the Jets' bye week in 2017. No game last week for Gangrene after an ugly 15-10 loss to the Bucks the week before. Former Jet-turned-Buck Ryan Fitzpatrick was just 17 of 34 for 187 yards, one touchdown, and a pick. But Fitz got his revenge in the win column, snapping a five-game losing skid for Tampa Bay. Now after the Week 11 bye, the Jets are 4-6, and six, heading into the tougher portion of the schedule. Next up, it's the Carolina Panthers, 7-3 and, and winners of three straight. It's a home game for the Jets, but the Panthers get Pro Bowl tight end Greg Olson back. Olson broke his foot in Week 2 and was reinstated from the IR on Friday. That gives the Panthers an offensive boost, and their defense is more than solid. It's a tall order for Josh McCown and company against a Carolina defensive unit ranked second in the league. The three teams that the Panthers have beaten on their current win streak are the same three teams that the Jets have most recently lost to, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and Miami. My official prediction this week is a 24-13 Panthers win. Olsen's back, Devin Funchess should find the end zone, and Carolina keeps clicking before a huge divisional battle in New Orleans next week against the first-place Saints. Covering the... I'm Matt Murphy, WFUV Sports. And that was Matt Murphy's Jets report. Thanks, Matt, for a great report on that, as always. But, I mean, as Matt alluded to, Cam Newton is going to be a huge problem for the Jets defense they're gonna have to contain him all game yeah Cam Newton's starting to play really well almost you know looking like 2015 Cam MVP status uh the game goes on and gets more physical and and so does seemingly Cam as well uh and when he's running and getting excited the Panthers become a much scarier team they do, and I think there's a big problem for the Jets this week. I was riding high on the Jets train after that uh, huge win over the Bills, 34-21, to uh, about three weeks ago, I think it is now. And last week, I lost all like moral confidence in this Jets offense uh, on, on every level with that performance against a 2-6 and six Bucks team. Uh, the Jets... I mentioned fluky before with with the Vikings, and there's there's a bad comparison because again, two different rosters. But the Jets' run was kind of fluky in the beginning of the year. Not a lot of weapons, not a lot of talent on that roster, but they were somehow getting it done. The minute you put up a performance like that against a Bucks team that was really a bad football team coming into the game, you're going to lose my confidence. The Jets were bad, couldn't establish a run game. The offensive line was awful. McCown was brought down. Uh, I don't have the exact number here, but he was pressured nearly every time he dropped back into the pocket. 
Bilal Powell only 30 yards on the ground. That was what led the Jets as far as rushing was concerned. So you you go from that, and hopefully the bye helped, but you put them up against the Panthers team. That is one of the best defenses in, in football and a revitalized Cam Newton. I, re- I really don't like this matchup for the Jets. Yeah, I was just going to say the bye week should help. I mean, everyone will come and rested after a nice Thanksgiving weekend and a good week off. But they're going to definitely have to contain Cam Newton because he's going to be able to get out of the pocket and rush. They did a good job with that against Tyrod Taylor. They sacked him seven times that game yeah. when they played the Bills on Thursday Night Football. But they also, I mean, they I think they're also going to have to be weary of Christian McCaffrey, who's a good pass uh, passing back who can catch the ball in the backfield and just make amazing plays. That'll be that'll be the guy that I think the Jets are going to have to worry about the most besides Cam Newton. Yeah, the Jets are going to have their hands full with the Panthers' offense, no doubt. Um, the Panthers, Emmanuel, I really agree with what you said about the Jets. They, they, they were sort of fluky. And my whole thing about the Jets this year was that they were able to play well because maybe of a lack of expectations. Yeah. But the reason that people were had no expectations was because they had a bad – the personnel, like the roster is, is literally – there's not much talent, and, and I knew there wasn't – I knew it wasn't sustainable. So the Bucks game uh, happened, and it was just such a shame that they had to go out and dominate the Bills like that on Thursday Night Football because they looked so good in that game. And, you know, maybe it was more of a fluke than anything. And, but and, to yeah. me, just when I look at this game on Panthers-Jets – to me, this game, it, it's really all about the Panthers. The, the, the Jets, we sort of know, you know, maybe are they going to play up as they've, as they've done pretty well this season, or are they not? It doesn't really matter. I think we've kind of accepted this isn't a playoff team. But I look at the Panthers. In the NFC South, the Saints are 8-2. and two, The Panthers are 7-3. and three, And the Panthers really still have a bad taste in their mouth from last year. They know what they're capable of. And so, to me, this game is all about, all right, what are the Panthers really made of this year? Yeah, I agree with you. And just speaking of what you were talking about with the bad personnel for the Jets, I think if there was one thing that was a negative that could potentially be taken as a positive from the loss to the Bucks, the last few minutes, uh, the, the Jets were actually taking shots, and McCown went over the top to Robbie Anderson a couple times. One time he caught it out of the end zone, out of the back of the end zone, and it was ruled an incompletion. Then the next time they co- they co- converted on what was a, a long Hail Mary uh, f- for a touchdown that nearly put them back into the game before they didn't recover the onside kick. So I think the negative is the conservative play calling. I think if you let McCown free and kind of let him do his thing, we've seen it on multiple occasions that it can work, you're in much better shape in a tough matchup this week against the Panthers. But if you're conservative once again, I think you're going to punt a lot. You're going to have a lot of sacks in the backfield. And yeah. you're ultimately going to put up three points up until two minutes left in the game. I'm totally with you, Emmanuel. And, and that's exactly it's, – it's the mentality. It's really the mentality. And, and I think when you're able to play free, like yep. the Jets were maybe doing when everyone said, oh, you're the worst offense ever, you know, you'll, it's surprising what you're capable of. I totally agree if they don't – let the the Panthers intimidate them, or, or, as you said, they shouldn't be conservative, really, because they don't have a reason to. So, you know, yeah, go all out, and uh, you know, we. I think I think what makes the Jets fun to watch and interesting to watch this year is that, even though we maybe have written them off for the playoffs, we've seen them have great games. We've seen them dominate good teams. Well, the Bills, decent teams, but uh, so maybe it's like you know, any week they could do it. Well, you alluded that you don't think the Jets are a playoff team, but there definitely is still a possibility. They are the 10th seed in the AFC. They are 4-6, and six, but after this Panthers game, their schedule looks a little rough. They got the Chiefs, then at the Broncos, at the Saints, and then they round out the season against the Chargers and then at the Patriots. So very tough schedule for this 4-6 and six Jets team. I don't think that they will make it into the playoffs, but stranger things have happened in the NFL, and who knows what could happen with, with uh, Josh McCown and his play and maybe the defense will be able to carry the team a little bit. If there's anything we've learned in the NFL this year, it's that you just can't predict it. There are a lot of matchups that have just not made sense, uh, heading in on paper as opposed to how it turned out. So the fact that the Jets are one game out of a wild card spot in the AFC is 
a little crazy first, and second of all, it makes you wonder what could have been. They didn't blow the game against the Falcons, didn't blow a huge lead at Miami, maybe uh, got that Austin Safarian Jenkins touchdown against the Patriots. Uh, this could be a much different story for the Jets, and maybe they could afford to lose some of these games down the road, but they are where they are. They're 4-6, and six, and now you're looking at a tough schedule, especially heading into the season. Maybe it didn't look that way, but with the way the Saints have performed, the Chargers are on a roll, Patriots are the Patriots. You don't know if they'll be resting or not in the final week. At Denver is always a tough matchup, and KC uh, certainly is a better team than the Jets. So it's, it's not looking good, although they are one game out of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, one game out, when you, when you put it like that, it is interesting. But, you know, there's still a lot of games to be played. And my sort of thoughts on the Jets are that, they're, they're, you know, anything can happen. Don't want to write anyone off or on even. But I think this Jets team, and, it, and you know, they're better. They're more interesting than the Giants for this reason. The Jets are, if not a playoff team, they're what I'll call, they're a week-by-week team. As in, you turn them on on Sunday, you know, in this case against the Panthers, a good team, and I think they really have a chance to win. I think the law of averages will even out, and I don't think the Jets are going to do well by the end of the year, but at least they've shown us they're a week-by-week team, and and they can kind of go off any game. The Giants have yet to really go off, let's say, and have a good game. (laughs) So we're going to have to wait and find out till Sunday if the Jets can handle the Panthers. But hopefully the Jets can get some wins and maybe make a run. But like I said, we'll have to see. But before we go to our last segment, the Pick'em segment, we're going to get one more fantasy segment with Jackson Heil. Nailing sleeper picks is a surefire way to get your team a victory. Here are some players that fantasy owners are currently overlooking. All right, I'm going to start out here with Kenny Stills, who's only getting started in 33% of leagues and probably should be starting in more like 90% of leagues. You look at his last five weeks, he's received eight, at least eight targets in four of those five and has really been sensational lately. He had seven catches for 180 yards and a touchdown last week, and he's likely going to be with Matt Moore this week, who's one of his favorite targets. When he's been with Matt Moore, he has five touchdowns in Moore's last six outings. So very good option there. He probably is a wide receiver too this week. Now I'm going to go desperation here. If you need a quarterback, look at Paxton Lynch. You're going to have to hear me out on this one, but he's a very enticing prospect and he can make noise down the field. He has two really good weapons in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And Broncos head coach Vance Joseph really wants him to actually run the football himself. So that could be an interesting option. He gets an Oakland defense that hasn't been very efficient at all in defending the pass. So he could definitely be a worthwhile add. He's only owning 3% of leagues. My final option I'll give you is Danny Woodhead, who is probably the only worthwhile play on this Ravens team's outside of, other, of counterpart Alex Collins. Injuries have limited him to only two games this year, but he's been mighty, mighty useful in that time. He had three receptions in week one on an opening drive before he got injured, and he had five receptions last week in his first week back. He's sure to get a lot more action against a Texans defense that is just one week removed to allowing six receptions and 68 yards to Rams running back. Todd Gurley. And that'll do it with Jackson's fantasy segments, but he's going to stay on for the Pick'em segment with us. It's one of my favorite, is my favorite segment of the show, and uh, let's get it going. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. All right, so to start us off, week 12, we've already got three games on, that already went final. We're going to start with the first game on Sunday, and that's Bills Chiefs. I'm going to go with the Bills. Tyrod Taylor's going to play angry. And he's going to want to get a win on uh, against the Chiefs. Oh, that's a really tough one. I'll go first since I'm on the phone. You can just get me away with it. I'll go with the Bills, too. I'm actually going to go opposite you guys. I'm going Chiefs. We were mentioning Alex Smith before and how he could potentially uh, write the script a little bit. And I think the Chiefs, they rub me the wrong way, but I'll take him over a rough go Bills team right now. Yeah, I mentioned this on the fantasy segment. They're allowing an average of over 50 points in their last two games. Just don't see the Bills coming out on top in this, and I'll take the Chiefs at home. Next and one. I don't want to interrupt the picks too much, but let's just this could be one of the biggest games of the season. Both these teams needing a win really badly. Definitely. Alright, the next game after that will be Titans-Colts. I'm going to go with the Titans on this one. The Colts just are ugly this year. I agree with you on all fronts there, Charlie. I'm going Titans. Yeah, I'll take the Titans too. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick the Colts in this game. I'll take Mariota and the Titans. So a clean sweep 
Everyone picking the Titans. We got Bengals, Browns. I think we've got another clean sweep here. I'm going to go with the Bengals. Again, Browns own 16, Bengals. Bengals. Deshaun Kaiser is bad. He's Bengals. Old. After that, we got Falcons and Buccaneers. Falcons on a roll lately, so I'm going to roll with the Falcons. It's been a while, and I thought the Falcons were eventually going to come out and become the team we expected them to be. Not necessarily there yet, but they're a lot better than the Bucks. I'll take the Falcons. Agreed. Waiting for the Falcons to really become one of the hottest teams in the league at some point this season. I want the Falcons. You know what? I'm going to be the uh, play devil's advocate here because Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown the Fitzmadricks in the air right now. <laughs> and uh, the Bucks have been playing a lot better of late. Two wins in a row, uh, be it against AFC East opponents, but I'll take the Bucks. We got an AFC East matchup between the Patriots and Dolphins. I'm going to go with the Patriots. Uh, like Jack, like I asked Jackson in the fantasy segment, they have no run game. And if Jay Cutler doesn't play, I think Matt Moore is playing. I just don't think he'll be able to step it up against the New England offense. I mean, New England defense, excuse me. Remember when people were worried about the Patriots? Well, they're 8-2, and two, about to be 9-2. and two. Let's go with New England. Pats all day. Yeah, I'll stick with the Pats here on this one. Easy pick. Eagles, Bears. I think we've got another clean sweep here. I'm going to go with Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Eagles. You know what? Because I pick the Bears nearly every week, and I just also don't like the Eagles, and they're bound to lose a game. Give me the Bears, baby. I'm going to be with Tommy on this one. Uh, again, <laughs> again, playing devil's advocate. I went, how about them Cowboys last week? I'll go Da Bears this week. We already talked about it. Jets. Da Bears. <laughs> <laughs> We already talked about this matchup. We got Jets and Panthers. We didn't get the picks, though, but I'm going to go with the Panthers on this one. I'm going Panthers. I don't like this matchup for the Jets. Oh, yeah. I'll take the Panthers. Yeah, uh, I'll take the Jets. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I, I'm being bold this week. I'm oh. going to go with the Jets. I, I just have this feel. I mean, if they can get out to a quick start like they have been, I think they can handle the, the Panthers. I can respect that. 49ers and Seahawks. I think this will be a clean sweep. It's going to be the Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah, the Seahawks have got to show us. I mean, I feel bad for the Seahawks, man. They're, they should be a great NFC team. They have been derailed by injuries, but I like them in this game. Yeah, Sherman's injury hurt shouldn't hurt them too much in this one. I'll take Seattle. This should be probably the best game of the week. It's going to be Rams and Saints. I'm going to go with the Saints on this one. They're going to win their ninth game in a row. They're just really looking solid this year. Saints are a really well-balanced team. I like what they've been able to do. I like them over the Rams, and I thought the Rams were due for a little bit of a fall-off. I think the Saints continue their winning ways. Yeah, absolutely tough game to pick. The Rams coming off of a loss, but they were good before, and, and, and the Saints bound to lose. They've won like 10 straight. This is a really tough one, you guys, but I'll take the Saints as well. I, I don't love Drew Brees on the road, as I mentioned in my fantasy segment. You look at his last game against Buffalo, he struggled, but I'm, also, I'm going to take the Rams on this one. Cardinals and Jaguars. The Jaguars seven and three. Cardinals four and six. I'm gonna roll with the Jags. I like Leonard Fournette, and I think Blake Bortles has played above expectations considering how bad he was last year. Just playing a lot better than I expected. Cardinals have been a perennial contender for years, and I was expecting it to be the same this year. They've thoroughly disappointed me, and I like the Jags. Yeah, the Cards are really an ugly team this year. I like the Jags all day. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I'll take the Jags on this one. Raiders and Broncos. I'm just going to roll with the Raiders. I don't think the Broncos will do good with Paxton Lynch. Agree. There. I got the Raiders. Yeah, no, the Broncos are a sneaky bad team. Like, their offense is, is it's pretty much as ugly as the Giants. Uh, I like <laughs> the Raiders. I'm going to counter you on that one, saying that the Raiders are a sneaky bad team. I mean, you look at their performance last week in Mexico City against the Patriots. Really ugly. Their defense is horrible. I'll take the Broncos and Paxton Lynch at home. Last two games of the week will be Sunday Night Football, Steelers and Packers. I'm going to go with the Steelers. I'm going with the Steelers in one of the bigger blowouts of the week. The Packers offense is pitiful. Yeah, Steelers all day. Yeah, Big Ben and the Steelers. And the, the Monday night game, Ravens and Texans. I'm going to go with the Ravens. Uh, the Texans, have, have they been playing okay with Tom Savage, but the loss of, of Deshaun Watson was just killer, and the Ravens are just going to defeat them at home. I like the Ravens as well uh, for the reasons Charlie mentioned. You know, I like the Texans as a team so much better than the Ravens. That's almost even with Tom Savage. Uh, but, you know, Baltimore just needs it so much more, and they're at home, so I have to take the Ravens. I'm going to cite example two, as I did last week. Joe Flacco is elite, oh. and I'm going to take the Ravens again. No, mostly, be <laughs> mostly because of that secondary. I think Jimmy Smith can shut down. 
shut down DeAndre Hopkins. They have three corners who can really defend, and I think that's going to give Tom Savage a lot of trouble. I'll take the Ravens in this one. Last my mic collapses here in Studio <laughs> 3 of Fordham University in WFUV Studios. That'll do it for NFL Friday. Jimmy Sullivan was the producer of today's podcast. Jackson Heil with the fantasy updates. Alongside me was Emmanuel Berbari and Tommy Aldridge over the phone in Connecticut. I'm Charlie Mizano. Hope you guys tune in next week and enjoy the good football weekend. <laughs>